Hello and welcome to the Friday, January 22nd, 2021, New Era edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, the inauguration and the Iowa legislature. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning. Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper Statehouse Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Uh, good morning, James. And I know you're talking about a new era as a presidential administration, but as a kid of the 90s, all I hear is uh, baseball hats and the baseball hat company. <laughs> of <Yep>. course, sure. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and Gazette Opinion Editor, Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcasts. First up, the inauguration. What a difference two weeks makes. In the same spot where a violent mob disrupted the peaceful transfer of power two weeks ago, America and the world witnessed that process completed Wednesday with the inauguration of President Joe Biden. It was quite a welcome celebration considering the past few months. However, I do have to say that I think the crowd was smaller than Donald Trump's. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No comparison. This was huge. Yeah. Anyway, Todd, I think the question is, did we as a nation redeem ourselves from the carnage we witnessed January 6th? Oh, definitely. All is forgiven. Divisions have, have melted away. I saw, I saw Antifa and Proud Boys hugging on the Capitol Mall. I read, a, I read, an, I read an item this morning that a, a furry head horn guy and AOC are apparently an item. <laughs> everybody is everybody is coming together as one nation, and it's like uh, it's beautiful. Words. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. Uh, actually, no. I mean, <laughs> we we have yet to be redeemed. The, it was a nice day. A nice day of speeches and ceremony and kind of feeling a little bit more normal about American politics again. But, you know, all the same, all the divisions we went into Inauguration Day with are still there. And and as the Biden administration gets to work, uh, you know, we'll we'll go back to, you know, sort of loathing one another as, as usual. And some of that's already started. And that's that's not surprising. But, yes, it was a. It was a, a, a nice day to, to at least think about unity as a theory, <laughs> if not see it in reality. I, I don't know if this falls into good news or bad news category, which is, which way it goes. But I, I think it's really interesting how quickly the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys and all these uh, far extreme right groups have turned on Trump. He was weak. He was a failure. We were fed lies. It was like, well... It's, I don't well, know. It's a good thing that they see the light now, or well, you know. and, the, and the you know the the QAnon folks who you know thought that on inauguration day that the Bidens and the Clintons and the Obamas and all these folks would be arrested and yeah. taken away, and and I mean they were I you know I read various articles about from reporters that were monitoring the chat rooms and things where these folks gather, and yeah, there was just anger and disbelief. So. I mean, I don't know that means the fever's broken. I have a feeling that over time they'll, you know, find ways to, to rationalize continuing to believe some of this stuff. But 
uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a, it was sort of a, 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 you know, a sobering moment for folks who thought for months, years that, you know, Trump was going to be president and, and, you know, forever, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, fortunately, the violence and, and uh, I guess, continuation of what we saw January 6th didn't occur on Inauguration Day. Um, there were uh, some protests around the country, uh, including a, a small demonstration at the Iowa State Capitol. Uh, <laughs> Aaron, I don't know if you actually witnessed it or not. Uh, <laughs> It it was it was so brief that I I missed it. I, I was alerted to it, and it was over by the time I got uh, from the house um, chamber back outside to the Capitol. A lone uh, tractor, as I'm told, as I was told by witnesses who did catch him, uh, a lone tractor with uh, I believe three men riding on it, uh, uh, waving their Trump flags. Um, as a, a as a certain podcast host texted me I think that day it was a little too cold to uh, worry about lost causes so uh, the, <laughs> the protest never really materialized yeah I just happened to be talking uh, to a lobbyist uh, who was at the Capitol and he said yeah there are more state troopers looking out the windows at these guys than there are people out there demonstrating <laughs> so, right and that is accurate that's absolutely accurate. yeah I think there was more state troopers than lobbyists in the Capitol that day, which is, I don't know, it's, it's comforting in its own way. You never know about those lobbyists either, so it's good to That's have them. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, Brett, um, you um, went to one of the more diverse places in Iowa, Storm Lake, to talk to high school students about the inauguration. And, and I guess I'm curious about what their takeaways were from the day. Um, were they inspired? by Biden or disappointed they weren't uh, witnessing the Trump sequel? Right. It was, it was a very interesting uh, way. Four years ago, I went to Morningside College and sat in the commons um, and talked to Morningside students as Trump was inaugurated. And this year we went slightly differently, went to high school and it was in Storm Lake. Um, it's a very racially diverse um, town and about 80% of the people who attend Storm Lake district are, are minorities. Um, so, yeah, I mean, their their takeaways would be similar to any Associated Press version we saw of, of the story or any national coverage. But they absolutely dialed in on the unity tone that that uh, Biden had expressed. And they found that, you know, very, very refreshing. And um, the um, I talked mainly to upperclassmen, seniors, and then I talked to a freshman as well. But they were very interested to take it all in. Um, they kind of liked the spectacle. They liked the, you know, they mentioned um, the various singers and such and the flags that were there instead of all the people due to the pandemic. But, but absolutely the takeaway was, was the tone. Um, and they cited, um, you know, you know, they, they, they hope that, that he's able to come through there. There a few that I talked to were absolutely um, not Trump fans and, you know, one of the seniors was had turned 18 so he had already and he had voted for Biden and you know he was hopeful of that the one thing James I wanted to bring up with it is that um, and I inter interviewed all these people independently so it wasn't like they were playing off of each other or taking each other's talking points mm -hmm. or whatever you know their impressions but they all brought up um, how racial 
uh, racial intolerance is a big issue for them that they all brought up the black lives movement from last summer and how, how dialed in they were into that and wanting, you know, hoping and wanting America to change, um, to be more open and, uh, you know, to people of all minorities and, uh, the police, the police, um, the problems with the police, with, with, you know, with some of the shootings and, and, and that sort of thing, they, that is just top of mind for them. And it's, you know, so it's, I guess you'd say it's probably generational. Um, cause I think sometimes I, I guess as we adults, well, well, that was, you know, that was last summer and, and, you know, we've moved on, there's other pressing issues, but for, for these, for these young, you know, teenage kids, that is a big, big issue. And I was very struck by that. That's a, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, Storm Lake is part of the fourth district, Northwest Iowa, very Republican area. Were there any, uh, of those students who, you know, uh, were disappointed by the outcome? Of the I wasn't able to find any, I, I okay. talked, took talk to quite a few. And I, I asked one of the, one of the, the kids that was easily the, you know, just well-versed and well-spoken. I said, can you point me to somebody in this class, you know, that would be, <laughs> you know, a moderate or what have you. And, and I wasn't able to find someone in that, in that particular class of about yeah. 15, 17 kids. <clears throat> that's, inter- that's interesting. Yeah. We also heard from uh, members of our congressional delegation uh, talk about their willingness to work with the new administration. Of course, uh, Amy, five of the six members of our delegation are Republicans, uh, including First District Representative Ashley Hinson, who said she's ready to find common ground. Um, what struck you uh, about the remarks from the congressional delegation? Was there a theme from the Republicans? There definitely was. I, th- I think, you know, and... A lot of them, I would say, compared to maybe Republicans in other parts of the country are, are a little more moderate. So maybe this had something to do with uh, the theme of their remarks. But the theme was absolutely, um, we accept that Biden is president and we want to work with him. I think um, a lot of moderate Republicans, you know, especially ones that have been in the Senate and the House for a long time, are familiar with Biden. They're familiar with how he works. They know he's um, willing to work with members of the other party. You know, he's not one of those members that was ever, you know, trying to strike out on their own and just get as many people from his party on board at, at once. You know, he really and in throughout his campaign, he said, I'm willing to work with people. And I think that really struck a chord with them. And so they're willing to say, OK, let's give him a chance. We're going to try to work with him um, if he's willing to work with us. Now, that having been said, they're still saying we're going to stick to our agenda we're going to, you know, fight for Republican values. Um, even even within Hinson's Facebook post on inauguration morning, um, you know, she was saying, we're going to attend the inauguration ceremony, even though we voted for Trump. You know, we, you don't always get the result you expect. It's time for us to move forward. But you better believe, she says, I will serve as a check on the ultra-liberal agenda I expect from the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress. Right? So even though... You know, they're they're striking sort of a we're willing to work with in tone. They're also, you know, not neglecting their own base. They're saying we're definitely going to, you know, stick to our guns. Um, we're going to fight for your principles. And and even in tweets after that, Ashley is talking about a federally mandated fifteen minimum dollar fifteen dollar minimum wage is not the answer. Um, talking about you know how she thinks that Biden should have stayed out of the WHO because you know, China's missteps on the pandemic, things like that are, are 
really indicative, I think, of how maybe Iowa Republicans are going to sort of toe the line, but, you know, mm-hmm. or they'll at least throw red meat to their base um, in, in social media posts. Um, but they could still possibly work with him, you know, on the, on the overall goals. Right. And I was struck by one of her comments that um, one of her statements she put out that she was disappointed that Trump wasn't reelected and she supported some of the things that he accomplished, uh, you know, tax cuts and some of those things. So, yeah, it's um, it's sort of a, a, a mixed message coming from those folks. Yeah. Tom, uh, Marionette Miller Meeks, another Republican, offered her sincere willingness to work with Biden. Um, she's been pretty harsh on him in the past. Uh, has she had a change of heart? Yeah, I, I can't tell if it's necessarily that um, she's she's had a, a, a change of heart um, or, you know, if, if that was just kind of the, the, the talk that you hear or the, the rhetoric that comes out when. Um, when, when uh, during election season, when running for um, a, a competitive seat, um, or if if it actually might be a, a change of heart spurred by what we saw um, the last couple of weeks with um, the the violent uh, siege and, and insurrection at the Capitol, um, you know, I, I guess it's hard to tell. Um, haven't had a chance to to speak to her yet, um, but. Um, you know, like like Amy said, you know, I, I think um, given, again, what we've seen these last few weeks, I think um, Republicans are, you know, interested in, um, I guess, being a little bit more open and being a little bit more receptive um, to, to Joe Biden and, you know, working with him and his administration where they can on issues where they can find um, some common ground. And, you know, yesterday, um, Marionette Miller Meeks, um, you know, kind of followed it up on, you know, this this pledge of of kind of working together and trying to, um, you know, find more more common ground and unity by um, voting for a waiver for um, General Lloyd Austin, uh, Biden's um, pick to be um, Secretary of Defense and, and uh, Pentagon Chief. So, Aaron, both uh, Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst had a hard time acknowledging Biden's victory. Uh, it took them a long time to even refer to him as president-elect. Uh, however, on inaugura- inauguration, I can't even say it, <laughs> inauguration day, they were gracious. Ernst said she's optimistic and hopes she can work with Biden. And Grassley said he will seek common ground, but went on to say he hopes we can retire hashtag resist. Uh, how, how likely is that? Yeah, I, I think you're going to start to sense a pattern developing here uh, from Amy's uh, answer to Tom's to mine now. Um, as you noted, uh, some of those statements sounded all warm-hearted and wonderfully bipartisan. And then uh, uh, Chuck Grassley just yesterday uh, tweeted um, at Joe Biden, asking if he's going to condemn the violence in um, Washington state uh, over the weekend, uh, kind of insinuating that uh, uh, Democrats only condemn right-wing violence and Mm -hmm. and not left-wing violence. So uh, the the warm fuzzies didn't last very long. Uh, But I guess, you know, hey, if if nothing else, I think what a lot of Americans have been (laughs) craving – you know, we've, we've been saying we just want to return to, to normalcy. Uh, maybe this is a be careful what you wish for kind of thing, because I think we're back to politics as normal. 
uh, everybody kind of retreated to their corners and, and, um, very little bipartisanship and, uh, um, business as usual, which is, which is unfortunate that we can't come out of, uh, uh, the last four years with, uh, um, an effort to a genuine effort to, um, uh, bridge the, the partisan divide a little more, but, uh, um, I guess, uh, if, if we, if we can't get unity, uh, maybe normalcy is going to have to do for the time being to, to whatever degree, uh, you were able to stomach, uh, normalcy. It's interesting yesterday, Grassley, uh, in his call with reporters talked about, yeah, I've worked with, uh, democratic presidents and I've, you know, been in the minority in the past, uh, it's sort of uh, like, you know, I can I can work work with regardless what the situation is and went on to talk about a couple of his priorities, uh, lowering prescription drug prices and criminal justice reform and seemed sort of to say, like, eh, maybe the prospects are better to get those uh, passed now um, because on prescription drug prices, Democrats didn't seem to want to work with him uh, ahead of the election. Um and so now he thinks maybe there's a better chance that those things will get passed. Um, in regard to Grassley saying that he hopes we can retire the hashtag resist, uh, now that he's part of the minority, I wonder if uh, we'll see Grassley use the hashtag persist. <laughs> and, and, and Brett, uh, your fourth district uh, rep, um, Randy Feenstra, showed he's got his priorities right. He skipped the inauguration to attend his daughter's senior night. Um, is he ready to give Biden a chance, or uh, is he going to channel Steve King? Well, just just to be fair, I guess as a background, um, he also came very, very near skipping um, watching the November third election results come in, also to go watch his college daughter play basketball um, that's he right that. he, had, he had mentioned that and then it all worked out happily he decided to stay home and watch the results and she got back from the game about 11 o'clock when the results came in so it all worked out but uh, so he's kind of consistent on, on sure wanting to watch basketball um I, I i don't have anything much different to say than <laughs> the previous four um yeah i mean uh he's He's talked about or tweeted out, you know, time to look forward and move ahead. There was another tweet. Um, I'm hopeful President Biden will seek common ground. So, I mean, the message there is that, you know, if Biden will come to them, then, you know, perhaps there's, you know, some openings there for, for cooperation, and you know, bipartisan type action. I, I did know that, you know, he's, <clears throat> Feenstra has tweeted out a few times, know, one or two per day of where he disagrees with Biden with these executive orders that have been signed. And one of the examples was he, he called out a decision to, um, to stop the Keystone uh, pipeline. Um, that's an example. So, I mean, certainly he's going to keep pushing for Republican um, ideals and, and, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of, you know, head knocking in the, in the weeks and months ahead, but, you know, at least for now, you know, let's, we're talking nice and let's see what we can do. Everybody's, uh, yeah, exactly. Playing nice, doing, saying what needs to be said at the moment. But uh, uh, yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. Tom, uh, speaking of how long will it last, uh, Marionette Miller-Meeks, um, who won her election by six votes and has been seated in Congress 
provisionally uh, this week answered the challenge to her uh, election, asking that the House dismiss um, the challenge and lift her provisional status. Um, her opponent, Rita Hart, had petitioned Congress to review that election outcome. Um, so, so where do things stand the, uh, right now? The Committee on House in, Administration in now will have to convene and organize, kind of decide on, on the rules, and then go through the process of reviewing both motions. There is no deadline set under the uh, 1969 federal law that Rita Hart is using to contest the outcome. Theoretically, this could drag out forever, although that's not likely. In years past, when the House Committee has taken up previous election challenges, you know, depending on what they decide to do, you know, it could potentially take months to, to decide this and, and come to some sort of resolution. Marionette Miller Meeks and uh, attorneys in their motion that they filed on Thursday, as you mentioned, asked the House uh, to to dismiss uh, Rita Hart's petition contesting the outcome, arguing that the House should follow precedent um, and that for at least the past hundred years, the vast majority of the times contests like these have come up. You know, the House has has dismissed them by saying that look, we're supposed to be the the option or the forum of last resort and that contestants should exhaust all of the legal remedies available to them um, in their state. And in this case, Rita Hart decided you know, not to, to challenge us before a five-judge panel of, of Iowa judges. She argues that um, state law didn't provide enough time to do that, would have uh, given them eight days um, to, you know, review thousands of ballots and to, to make a decision. Um, so, yeah, um, the the committee has, you know, a couple of options. Um, they could just outright dismiss it and, you know, say, yeah, precedent, you know, in the past has said that you should have taken this to state court and exhausted all, you know, legal remedies. And we're supposed to be a last resort. We're not going to wait into this. Or, you know, they could decide just to proceed um, based on kind of the pleadings and, and testimonies presented. They could do a, um, a preliminary investigation or kind of a limited recount to further decide if there are merits um, to Rita Hart's petition. Or they can decide to do a full investigation and a full recount as Rita Hart has, has asked. So, and as this is going on, uh, Democrats now are, are criticizing Miller Meeks for not having her office set up and not answering the phone when uh, constituents are calling. Um, are, are they trying to have it both ways here? Um, challenging her, you know, the fact that she's been seated, but at the same time saying, uh, gee, you yeah, be moving so, faster than um, this. I think uh, Rita Hart's campaign and, and um, now Democrats are kind of pushing back on um, the contention for by Miller Meeks that, you know, well, we didn't know until, you know, just a few days, um, I think three days before the new Congress convened, whether or not, you know, Marionette Miller Meeks was actually going to be sworn in for sure. Um, and, you know, just with all of the kind of haze of uncertainty um, over this seat, it makes it, you know, incredibly difficult to, to try and, and hire staff and, um you know, look, it's 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 not on us. It's it's on this unfortunate situation that's been caused because of um, the uh, election challenge filed by Rita Hart. And Democrats pushed back on that and, and, and said, you know, hey, um, you know, there was a um, 
freshman orientation that began um, in, in November and, and you were a part of that and all of the resources provided to new members were provided to you and, you know, arguing that there's, you know, no reason why, you know, it should, uh, you know, I guess kind of be taking this long to, to, to hire staff and to, um, you know, take care of constituent services. It does seem that, uh, given the circumstances, you'd think uh, Miller Meeks would be trying to move ahead as fast as possible. And, but um, yeah, whatever. Uh, Aaron, uh, in the first district, uh, Iowa Democrats uh, didn't waste any time filing an ethics complaint against uh, Representative Hinson, uh, claiming she's using official communications um, to advocate for Miller Meeks. Um, it's it's one of those things where I think maybe for most of us, it's hard to imagine how it would be unethical for a member of Congress to comment on a matter pending before Congress, but uh, what are we missing here? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, Iowa Democratic Party uh, thinks there's uh, some language in the weeds of the um, House rules that uh, uh, says what Ashley Hinson was, was doing wrong, but uh, I, it's kind of one of those things that uh, I'm not a legal scholar by any means, but if um, if, if what Ashley Henson was doing violates house rules, then uh, a lot of other members are in trouble too. Uh, that's a pretty commonplace thing for uh, house representatives or senators to, um, you know, to encourage the public to, um, you know, lobby other members to vote on a particular way on a certain issue. Um, uh, not uncommon at all for members of either party to do that. So, um, uh, it's, it's, I mean, we'll see if anything comes of it, but it, it, it really is hard, uh, from this seat anyways, to, uh, see, uh, anything materializing out of this, um, this request by the democratic party to have Henson's, um, you know, be investigated. I, I just don't see where that, um, where that happens. The house ethics committee seems to move very slowly. Um, I, I'm not sure that the ethics complaints against Rod Blum have ever been resolved. So, uh, yeah, I, I want to expect a quick resolution of this. <laughs> that's and that's a good point too. That and, and it seems like it, it kind of moves slowly. On when you look at the, the the complaints and the cases, the investigations they have moved on and ruled on, there definitely seems to be uh, kind of a, an effort to, by the committee to address the more serious allegations because you see the rulings they're all over you know allegations of inappropriate sexual relationships or um you know campaign finance violations improperly accepting money those kinds of things you know pretty serious stuff there's all kinds of recent rulings on those uh as you mentioned you get into uh, some of the, the more minor allegations and infractions and and uh you can end up waiting a long time uh, to hear back from the committee on those. So I, I, I don't expect to hear anything on this one either. Don't hold your breath. Uh, yeah. Amy, uh, Amy, do you think this is sort of sets the tone for the next couple of years? Uh, are, are these the opening salvos from Iowa Democrats uh, to make oh, yeah. and Miller Meeks uh, one-term House members just sort of uh, taking shots at them wherever they can find a, an opening? Sure, obviously, because I mean they've got a lot, you know, that's 
that's not going you know well for them in these districts. First of all, Iowa could be getting redder as a whole, and that could include the first district. We just don't know. It's been so swingy. Like if you consider in the last three, four years, we've had Blum followed by Finkenauer, Democrat followed by Hinson, a Republican. I mean, it, so you don't know if it's going to keep swinging. You don't, you don't know if you can you can bring more of those Democrats over to the first district, um, or or rather to vote in the first district. Um, you probably just have to get, you know, that right candidate, um, which is obviously a little too early to know who they're going to put up. But the other thing going against them is that historically, the midterm election uh, is going against the president's party. So that would indicate that Hinson would have a better shot at getting reelected in a Biden administration. Um, but again, you've you've got this this highly swingy district right now, and it's really tough to see where it stacks up. So I think the Democrats are right to go on the offensive right from the get-go because that's the only way that they're going to get and keep momentum. I mean, keep in mind, these are two-year terms. They go by so fast. Like, you really have to get in, get attention, and keep attention. And I think that'll be really key if the Democrats want to take back this district. All right. Moving right along here, the legislature is back in session. Um, and... Lawmakers, or at least uh, the majority party, doesn't seem ready to embrace COVID science and require a face mask. It is willing to embrace technology, but only to a point. Uh, with Republicans in control, I suppose we shouldn't be surprised that the House voted down a mask mandate. But what's with allowing people to monitor committee, committee and subcommittee meetings virtually, but not participate in meetings, uh, neither lawmakers nor the public? Um, it seems to be working in the Senate where people, uh, lawmakers, uh, can uh, join the discussion virtually uh, rather than be in person in the Capitol in committees. Um, but there, there's a feeling of timelessness at the legislature, and we're seeing next steps and reruns of many of the GOP priorities, including constitutional amendments on guns and abortion. The governor and lawmakers are proposing more school choice for parents and students. And uh, of course, tax cuts are always part of the discussion when Republicans are in control. Um, there, you know, we're in what is it now? The second week of the session. Uh, a lot of bills introduced this week that uh, sound an awful lot like bills that were introduced uh, last year and the year before. Even the left lane camping bill is back on the agenda. Um, Todd, does it feel like? Um, uh, just like the Iowa Second District, there's a never-ending saga in the Iowa legislature. Yeah, I mean, there's there are a lot of issues back. I guess one of the one big factor is that, uh, you know, they've got they've got a larger majority now in the legislature, and so, you know, some of these things like school choice vouchers and things like that that maybe they had a hard time getting enough votes for in the past, or or maybe they were worried about the pol the political ramifications. Uh, they're they're not worried about that now, so they're going to move forward with some of this stuff. Uh, the abortion amendment is another uh, one that you know, when the when the House was you know facing real facing elections last year and and maybe worried a bit about where they how they would do with suburban women and and some of those constituencies, they might have decided that it was better to to keep their powder dry on that amendment. And now that they've emerged with you know more Republicans than than they had, they, they're, they're moving forward on some of this stuff. So yeah, they was just kind of waiting for the, you know, waiting for the uh, right political conditions to, to put the stuff uh, on its way to, to law. And I, 
I, I do think on school choice and, and, and these issues, I think they are probably going to move fairly swiftly and maybe more swiftly than a lot of us would like to see. Yeah, and talking to uh, GOP leaders, uh, you know, Chairman Jeff Kaufman has talked about getting to 60 uh, Republicans in the House. Jack Whitfer over in the Senate told me that uh, he, he wants to get to a veto-proof majority, which is kind of interesting since the, the governor is a Republican. Um, I'm not sure what veto he's worried about, but uh, so they're, they're not uh, taking their foot off the gas. Uh, and we'll probably see that reflected in the legislation they passed this year. Uh, and one more oldie but goodie that's back. Um, Thursday, a Republican-sponsored mandate for public and non-public schools to recite the Pledge of Allegiance every day. Some things never change. Well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Natalie Brown will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file. And remember to subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Brett, Amy, Tom, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. <laughs>